The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. In the period of 1968 to 1972, NASA claims to have sent nine missions to the moon, of which six allegedly landed astronauts on the lunar surface. This narrative has stood the test of time and is now almost universally recognized as being true. It has been bolstered by a relentless propaganda exercise by NASA, by a partisan group of pro-NASA disciples, by many scientists, by academia, and incessantly reinforced by the mass media. So much so that it is now a part of our historical record. The truth is that it never happened. No astronauts ever trod on the lunar surface or ever ventured outside the Earth's protected magnetosphere. It is a detective story of epic proportions, but the evidence is there to prove this without any ambiguity. Finding that evidence of deceit has been a long painstaking effort by many dedicated researchers over the past 50 years. Researchers who have suffered the ignominy of being branded as heretics for even questioning the official record. So much so that investigating the evidence brands one as being a conspiracy theorist with all the negativity that such a title has come to mean. Tonight's discussion brings together the irrefutable evidence that exposes the deceit. It cuts through the nefarious propaganda and disinformation from the pro-NASA lobby that has for years clouded the real issue. Five, four, three, two, one. Marcus Allen is the UK publisher of Nexus magazine, which he introduced to the UK and Europe in 1994. Nexus is the world's leading alternative news magazine, covering health, future science, hidden history, the unexplained, and UFOs. Nexus originates from Australia and is now sold in over 100 countries, including the USA and Canada. Marcus is now able to pursue his lifelong interest in the unexplained on a full-time basis. The moon landings and ancient Egypt are just two of the main taboo subjects he has investigated. New questions have been raised that have yet to be adequately answered. Marcus has appeared on many TV shows during the past 25 years to discuss the Apollo moon landing controversy. He has been interviewed on numerous national, local radio, and online shows in the UK and in the USA. His presentations challenge the official story of men landing on the moon over 50 years ago. He asks anyone to prove him wrong when he claims that no human has landed on the moon. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. His latest book is The Apollo Moon Hoax, The Real Evidence, A Reference Guide to the Facts. Directly from South London, England, I would like to welcome, for the first time on Veritas, Marcus Allen. Hello, Mr. Allen, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mel. And I'm very 
honoured to be on a guest on your show. You've had some spectacular guests in the last few years. Thank you, as am I. May I call you Marcus? Please call me Marcus, yes. Thank Everybody you. else does. Well, this is one of those topics that I know is very controversial. I've been discussing it for years, and trust me, to all the listeners, I want to believe, I want to believe that we went to the moon. And I've been asking people for answers, but I'm not satisfied with any answer that I get. And every time I look out there for NASA or the ESA or the Chinese Space Agency for answers, I really, I just can't stop asking questions, Marcus. So I want to ask you, first of all, when did you become a moon landing skeptic? Probably just over 30 years ago. Um, I was attending a lecture in London, not about the moon or anything like that. It was doing with megaliths, which, is, which I also like to look at. And the person doing the talk was presenting a lot of photographs, obviously, of megaliths. And he said, almost in an offhand way, he said, of course, you've probably seen those photographs of men on the moon. He said, they're not real. They're faked. And I thought, what's he talking about? I mean, this is 90, early 1990s. Now, I'm old enough to have been around when, when it actually happened. I stayed up in London, where I was living, and um, watched it happening. I even waved out the window. Nobody waved back, but never mind. <clears throat> so I, I believed that man had landed on the moon. I mean, I had no reason not to. So this, this gentleman saying that the photographs were faked, I thought, ah, oh, ridiculous idea. Now, I'd studied photography. I'd worked as a photographer in London in the 1960s. I'd used the Hasselblad camera that I subsequently found out that had been used on Apollo. I thought, well, I'll go and have a look at the pictures and I'll see what I can work out. Because looking at a photograph, you can tell quite a lot about how it was taken, where it was taken, obviously, and the sort of equipment that was used, the lenses that were used. So I started looking for the pictures of Apollo landing on the moon. I had to go out to an astronomy show and buy a set of, of postcards. It was the first I could find. There were obviously some in books and magazines. National Geographic was a, a big publisher, publisher of Apollo photographs. And I looked at the photographs and I thought, yes, I can see what he's talking about. I can see why he might have doubts. And I started to have doubts about the photographs. And I started investigating Apollo. And the more I looked into it, the more the questions arose. Because having studied photography, I know what cameras can and cannot do. And it's an important point at this stage in 2022, over 50 years after Apollo 11 allegedly landed on the moon, that they were using photographic film. They were not using digital cameras. They weren't invented until 1975. So they were all photographic film. Now, photographic film is a very good medium for recording information on. That's why you use it in cameras. <clears throat> they were using um, black and white film. They were using color reversal film, otherwise known as transparencies, because they can produce some very, very good and accurate color rendition of the scene that they're photographing. And the more I looked at them, I thought, hang on a minute, there's a problem here. This camera... The Hasselblad camera, which is a very good camera, made by Victor Hasselblad of Sweden, it had no viewfinder on the moon because, obviously, if you're wearing a spacesuit, which they presumably were, you can't get your head down close enough to the viewfinder, which is on top of the camera, to see what the scene is. So the viewfinder was removed. <clears throat> then 
the shutter button to take the photograph is located on the front of the camera. All Hasselblad cameras are the same. They had a larger button because if you're wearing a spacesuit, you want to wear the gloves as well. You can't wear half a spacesuit. <clears throat> so you've got these gloves, like heavy duty gardening gloves. How do you know you've pressed the shutter? Because there's no sound in space, is there? We're told. Well, it's true, there isn't. So how do you know you've taken a photograph? Well, there's a little dial on the side of the camera which tells you what photo how many photographs you've taken of the film you have in the camera, but you can't see that from inside a spacesuit either. Anyway, all these restrictions on use, I came to the conclusion that the photographs could not have been taken on the lunar surface. And it was many years later I discovered the proof of that, the proof that it couldn't have been taken on the lunar surface. And the proof became, in a, another lecture I attended, I'm a member of the British Interplanetary Society, and the lecture was given by the a very nice gentleman named Phil Pressel, who was the uh, designer of the photographic equipment, the camera system used on the, um, ha the hexagon spy satellite, KH9. He was very proud of what he'd done. It was obviously it was highly technical, very classified at the time. It was declassified in 2011, <clears throat> which is why he was able to talk publicly about it. Now he talked about it, and in describing the photographic uh, equipment, it was a stereo camera that was, i.e., two cameras linked together to take stereo images, so height could be determined when it was used as a 3D picture. He was very proud of it. <clears throat> and he said, almost by in passing, he said, well, of course, we had to pressurize all the film and the, and the camera equipment on the spacecraft. And I thought, what's he talking about? You've got to pressurize the, the spacecraft. The hexagon spy satellite flew at about 200 miles above the Earth to photograph what was going on in the Soviet Union. This is, it was first launched in 1969. It was converted about 10 years later, to use digital equipment, but initially to use photographic film. And it's a very, very complex system of the film being transported from the huge six-foot diameter film reels. They were five-inch width film. So there was a huge amount of film in the, on the spacecraft, the hexagon spy satellite. It was transported through tubes, which had all been pressurized. And I thought, well, what's going on? Why, why do they have to pressurize photographic film in space? And I asked him that question. I said, would the same restrictions apply to Apollo? He said, of course they would. We get disconnected every so often. You were saying well, about the pressurized on the pressure in the camera. Yes, pressure in the camera. The, well, it's not the camera; it's the film that has to be pressurized. And what I. What we'd done was determined that photographic film is damaged in the pressure that we were able to produce in this vacuum chamber, which is relatively low. Now, it's important to know how vacuum is measured. Here on Earth, we exist in an atmosphere, and the pressure in the atmosphere is 14.7 pounds per square inch at sea level, and the same at uh, measured in tor. Tor is the unit of vacuum. It's named after the, uh, an Italian scientist who worked to develop the barometer in the 17th century. It, ah, you know what's happening? Is somebody trying to get a hold of you? Are you there, Mel? I'm here. Can you hear me? 
Sorry, Marcus, please proceed. We keep getting disconnected. I'm not surprised. No, I'm not surprised at all. Obviously, a lot of people listening in. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Whoever you are. I hope they're learning something. Well, I hope they are, but maybe maybe they don't want to learn it. Anyway, let's carry on because uh, I think we, we were describing how I first became interested in looking into this subject and why there could possibly be more to it than we were being told. And I said, I was trained as a photographer. I know what cameras can and cannot do. I'd used the Hasselblad camera. I've used it professionally. I've used it uh, socially. So I knew what it could do. It's a very, very good camera, but it's not easy to use. It was never designed originally to be handheld. It was always designed, it was originally designed as an aircraft camera uh, doing aerial photography during World War II, and it was developed from that. It was adopted by a lot of photographers because the lens made by Zeiss in Germany, the lens is so good that people liked the quality of the pictures that was taken on the Hasselblad camera. So it was eventually chosen to be used on Apollo to record the scenes. Now, I became interested in space travel quite an early day. I became specifically interested in the Apollo missions because obviously that is space travel with humans following President John Kennedy's announcement in May 1961 to land a man on the moon before the decade is out and return him safely to the Earth. So NASA got on with the business of doing that. Of course, at that point, they hadn't even put a man into orbit. Uh, they were rather startled when the Soviet Union put Yuri Gagarin into orbit. Uh, Alan Shepard was the first American to go up into space. He just went straight up and came straight down again. John Glenn was the first American to orbit the Earth a year later. So they had a lot of catching up to do, and they had to get the rockets to, to launch. Anyway, they obviously did it because we all saw the, the most famous launch, Apollo 11, July 1969. And I watched that, and I was very impressed by it. And I watched the landing on the moon, uh, July 24th, I think it was. Anyway, no, July the 20th, four days after the launch, land on the moon, get out walk around, talk to the president, collect some rocks, put a flag up and get back again. They were on the lunar surface for 21 hours in total. On the surface, walking around, they were on it for just over two hours, 20 minutes. So it was a relatively short mission, this one. But there were a few photographs. There's a famous series of photographs taken in what's referred to now as Magazine 40. It just happened to be an arbitrary number. There weren't 40 magazines taken on the mission. There were only about three. But this was identified as Magazine 40. And there are 121 photographs taken on the lunar surface by the named astronauts, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Interestingly, there is no photograph, identifiable photograph of Neil Armstrong. They're all taken of Buzz Aldrin by Neil Armstrong. And there is a, a, a series of photographs. There are eight photographs in total in a series on this magazine. They're, they're all still photographs. And it's showing Buzz Aldrin coming out of the lunar lander, the eagle, coming down the ladder onto the lunar surface. And as a photographer, I know that you look at photographs in sequence and you can tell what the photographer is trying to achieve by the series of photographs that he takes, usually called a contact sheet. It's just looking at the photographs taken in sequence. These are all photographs on photographic film. 
So I looked at the, these particular eight photographs. They're all in sequence, and they show Buzz Aldrin climbing out of the lander, coming down the ladder onto the lunar surface. But in the middle of this, in the middle of this sequence, there are two photographs, one of the lunar lander footpad itself and the other of the rubbish bag that they just chucked out of the lunar lander before they got out. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, why would they do that? Why would they? Because they could do it at any time. They didn't need to do it in the middle of this sequence. But obviously, Neil Armstrong, who was taking the photographs, got bored watching Buzz Aldrin climbing down the ladder or trying to and decided to photograph the footpad and the rubbish bag. Now, looking at those photographs, you could tell where the sun is, assuming it's the sun we're looking at as the light source. You can see where the sun is. It's behind the lander. So Buzz Aldrin's activity are all taking place in shadow, the shadow of the lander. But he's illuminated like a Christmas tree. You can see all the detail in his spacesuit, and the directly illuminated surface behind him, behind the lander, is not overexposed, which you would expect it to be in a photograph, because the difference in illumination between the directly illuminated surface and the shadow area of the lander should be too great for a film to record. Photographic film has a quite a wide latitude, but it doesn't have that wide a range of latitude. So that was one of the first things I noticed. Where was the illumination to make Buzz Aldrin look like a Christmas tree coming from? Oh, we're told. Oh, it's the, it's the reflective surface of the moon. Then I discovered that it's not the reflective surface of the moon. It couldn't be. The reflective surface of the moon, it does reflect light because you could see it in the sky. You look up in the sky and you could see it reflecting sunlight. But it doesn't have enough reflection when it's in shadow to illuminate to that level of uh, intensity. So that, that, was a, that was the first real problem I had, trying to work out, because if, if you know what you're looking for in a photograph, you can read a photograph, like you can read a book, you know what all those little squiggles mean, so you can make sense of the words, and it, and it makes sense as a book, because you can, you can read it. Same way you can read a photograph. You know where the camera is, you know what it's trying to photograph, you know what type of lens might be being used by the depth of field on it, you know what exposure is likely to be. And I found many, many problems with this because it didn't make sense that somebody in deep shadow, because the, there are no clouds on the moon, there's no atmosphere, so you get either deep shadow or bright sunlight. It's so bright you can't see the stars. That's why you can't see the stars because... <laughs> The camera isn't capable of recording bright, brightly illuminated surface areas <clears throat> and the relatively dim stars in the background. You won't see them. So let's not have any more you can't see any stars in the photographs. Of course you can't. Photographically, that's the way it works. <clears throat> so I started looking at more of the photographs and I started looking in detail at them and discovered that there were so many discrepancies between what should be occurring. I mean, no, nobody's been to the moon. I'll say that right away. No humans have been to the moon, including the astronauts, we're told, walked on the moon, on the moon, because there's no evidence that they did. And don't talk about footprints either. There's a rather amusing um, little clip on uh, YouTube posted recently. I think it was originally on TikTok. Somebody filming the moon with his mobile phone 
and then zooming in and zooming in and zooming in and you could see the Apollo. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.